deep and meaningful conversations to connect, find calm, feel empowered and uncover clarity. Welcome to the Death, Dying, Diagnosis and Doulas podcast. Hey, welcome to the Death, Dying, Diagnosis and Doulas podcast. And the special guest for today, believe it or not, is me. Yeah, I've had a lot of people asking me why I put this podcast together. So I thought, why not just do a podcast with me and tell you a little bit about my story and I suppose why I'm doing what I am now. My background is nursing, so I started nursing when I was 18. And prior to that, really didn't have much experience with death. The only person that had died in my inner circle, if you like, was my grandfather. I was probably an early teenage then and I wasn't allowed to see him in the hospital. I didn't see him dead at all. Basically, I was protected from that. And in those days, it was pretty common to feel that you needed to protect young people, if you like, from death. And so I really hadn't had any experience with it. Anyway, off I went nursing at 18 and of course it doesn't take very long at uh, nursing to start to be exposed to death. I very much remember the first, uh, I think I'd probably been working as a nurse on the ward after after I'd finished the training for probably a week, if that, and I'd gone home at 11 o'clock one night. There was a particularly nice lady that I was looking after and in the morning, you know, you get back there at quarter to seven, ready to go again, and her bed was empty. And I remember going up to the registered nurse and saying, where did Mrs. whatever her name was go? And she just looked at me with this strange look on her face and said, to heaven, nurse, what would you possibly expect? Where else would she be? And I remember walking away and thinking, oh, okay. Like I was quite confused by it, that you sort of weren't invited. There was no discussion about those type of things. You were just basically left to figure things out by yourself. There was certainly no no debriefing, no conversation, nobody you could really talk to apart from your colleagues. And even then, you could really only talk to the people that would started in the same group as you because it was a very hierarchical structure. So that was my first experience of suck it up, get on with it and don't sweat, basically. This is just the way it is. So that was a that was a pretty pivotal moment and I can still remember that and, fe- and feeling quite overwhelmed with, well, what had happened during the evening when I wasn't there. And to this day, I have no idea what happened. I don't know. You know, did she have a heart attack or what? I don't know. She was certainly wasn't dying the night before I left. So that was interesting. And then, of course, after that, then you start to look after many, many dying patients. And I can't say I enjoyed it, but I was comfortable in that space. So I started to think, that, that this was fine, this was part of the life cycle, this was, a, if you like, a, a gift to be able to look after dying people. And as much as it can be very um, very challenging, very emotional, and often for the families, of course, it's very difficult and very challenging, and you hovering around as the nurse is the, the person that they look to and ask questions rather than the doctors. So you get very used to, I suppose, you know, having people that are quite distressed around you and having to learn how to to talk to people in a way that was appropriate for them because everybody's very different. And so you learn to be a bit of a chameleon, I think, as as a nurse and try to figure out what's the best way to communicate with those people that you're with at the moment. So... I did like looking after people that were dying. The Death, Dying, Diagnosis and Doulas podcast. Empowerment through conversation, connection through understanding. This is the Death, Dying, Diagnosis and Doulas podcast. Death was very different in nursing back in the old days, even to the point of 
tying tags onto people's toes, you know, with their name on it. And these awful white shrouds they used to put on people with these, like, um, oh, I don't know, I don't know what you call it, but the material was sort of, you know, spiky on the ends. It was really quite awful, you know, and a lot of really quite intrusive procedures that were done with, with dead bodies in those days. You know, you'd always have two people there working together. It took a long time to what we used to call lay someone out, but it was all part and parcel of, of just the job as, as a nurse. And so you just did the best you can on a very short time frame and we just got on with it. So, you know, I suppose for young, young nurses and young people that work in that space, there's a, there's a lot of exposure to death and you, you have to find your own way to work with that, deal with that and, and talk to the people around you. I think things are probably improved now in some ways. You know, I think there's a little bit more training certainly around, uh, conversation, communication, talking to families, etc. But, you know, nurses are probably more under the pump, even if that's possible, than what it was even when I was doing my trainings. You know, the thing is people need time and space, but you just don't really have it. There's so much going on around you. So basically from there, the, I went to work in aged care after I'd started to have children Again, you're constantly surrounded by death and dying and talking to people, their families, about what to expect and what's happening. And again, you know, I, I was never uncomfortable in that space. I certainly had many families say to me lovely things, you know, after someone had died about how grateful they were that I'd been there. And that always touched my heart a lot, you know, because I felt that I had been able to make a difference in some way. So yeah, so death just became okay. And then I went off working in other areas in community services, management, education. And so hadn't had a, a lot to do with death really in, in many, many years until oh, only about two years ago. And I came across this concept of a death doula. And it was my daughter that had mentioned it to me. And I'd never heard of it. I'd certainly heard of a birth doula, but I'd never heard of a an end-of-life doula or a death doula. So it, it sort of made me think, oh, that sounds really interesting. I, I need to find out a bit more about that. So I sat with it for a, probably a couple of weeks and then I thought, no, I'm going to have a, have a look into this. I think that sounds like something I'd like to do because my business by that point didn't really need me that much and I was looking for something that felt right, you know, to put my time and energy into. So I came across... Preparing the Way, which is where I did my end-of-life doula training. And, of course, I thought, oh, I love this and I love the people and I love the energy of everything that they're trying to do. But I thought, now, how do I turn this into a business where I'm not absorbed into hours and hours and hours of, you know, working with people all the time when I'd taken a, a lot of energy, if you like, to get myself into the position where I wasn't at work every day, you know, that I was able to have a lot more flexibility in my life so I could travel and do things. So I did the course again, just again to get some more clarity in my brain about how I could make that work. Luckily, you know, I just seemed to really connect with Helen Callanan, who's the owner of Preparing the Way, and she was looking for an RTO to put her her new beautiful certificate for. She has an end-of-life services, and of course I've got a community services RTO, so it felt like a bit of a match made in heaven. So we started to work very closely together, and also with Libby Maloney from Natural Grace, who's a holistic funeral director. So the three of us have come a little bit like, uh, you know, I suppose the three musketeers in a way, but 
you know, it's it's beautiful synergy between us and I really think that we can do a lot to help people. Connection is key for the Death, Dying, Diagnosis and Doulas podcast. If we speak to you and people that work in your space, reach out for a collaboration. Julie at doulaconnections.com.au So once I sort of come up with a bit of a model, I could see that we were in the in the middle of COVID at that point and I suppose you could see a lot of people, you know, dying in hospitals without having anybody with them, families not being able to see people. So I thought, well, you know what, online doulering maybe would be helpful to to those people so that they can families can connect, you know, online or over the phone and get that beautiful support that I know that doulas can provide. So I set about setting up a an online version, which is basically really it's just been launched and I'm pretty excited about it really because I think it gives everybody, regardless of where you are in Australia, access to a doula. So right now I'm really thinking that um, I love this, this world. We call it the deathy world or the doula world because I don't think I've ever come across such a group of passionate, beautiful people that really have got come from many different backgrounds, have got many different skills, many different interests. But, you know, we're also aligned, you know, with this really believing that death, if you like, is it's time that it went back to the community. It's time that it goes back to family-led. It's time that it goes back to how it used to be in the old days. I think that over the last, you know, probably, and I'm guessing, but maybe the last century, Bit by bit, it started to sort of slip into this this model, which is certainly what I remember as as a young person. You know, with the the very uh, cookie cutter type of funeral, cookie cutter type of you know death in a hospital or a nursing home, and there really wasn't. That's just how it seemed to be. But now, as a, I can see that there's a whole range of choices and options that people have, and the end of life doulas or death doulas or some people you know might call call us death walkers there's many different names but we all do a similar thing which is basically find out what the individual or the person wants what their needs are what their preferences are and work closely beside them to empower them if you like to be able to create what it is that they would like for their own dying and death so I thought, well, you know what? I could see all these beautiful soul traders out there providing fantastic services for people and really presenting options to them. And I thought, well, I've got great business skills. Maybe I can find a way to help them. So right now, that's what I'm trying to do is is set up some local services. Currently, I'm doing that in the Hunter because that's where I live, trying to pull together a group of doulas that can all support each other and be able to again provide services. I think it's really important that we educate the public about what their choices and options are. I think it's really important that we educate um, health professionals so that again they know um, that we exist and they know what we do and what our roles are. And we're not nurses, so some of us are nurses, but the doula role is not a nurse, it's not a medical role. It's just it's a support role, for want of a better way to put it. We guide, we support, we advocate, we organise. It's almost like being an event manager in a way. Uh, there's a lot of doulas that are celebrants. You know, there are, there are so many different skills and little pieces that fit together in what, in what doulas do. 
So for me, it's about making sure that the, that the public know, that the health professionals know that we exist. And then bit by bit, I think we just need to work really hard on getting it to the point where it's, it's a, an accepted role. It's an important role. And everybody realizes that we, that we come in and we sit alongside the health workers and the medical profession, if you like, to even make their job easier by having people like us that can get in there and really, really help people have the conversations, advocate, you know, organize, do all the organisation, all this stuff that takes a lot of energy and a lot of time, but doulas are just the most open-hearted people and they don't come in and they certainly don't tell you what to do. They come in, they present your options, maybe ask questions, you know, get you to think about what you would like and how you would like things to happen and then try to help you pull that together in a way that makes sense to you and feels right to you. I think another big part about being an end-of-life doula is is the conversations, you know, like really facilitating, helping families to facilitate those very challenging conversations that need to be had often around death and dying. It's not uncommon for for people to die and then the family sit around and say, we have no idea what they wanted it's not uncommon for people to get a terminal diagnosis. They know they're dying. They've got very short time and nothing's been arranged, nothing's been organised and everybody's in so much overwhelm and, and stress about everything that conversations that need to be had sort of just don't happen or they happen very quickly without a lot of thought. Whereas, you know, if people put some time and energy into it earlier, then there's a whole range of things that can be thought about and considered and then brought into your plan. So for me, I think that one of the things that we could all serve ourselves and our family better is really by getting our wishes and preferences written out. You know, so I'm doing some planning, basically thinking, okay, well, you know, if I am dying, where do I want to die? Do I want to die at home? Do I want to die in a hospital? Do I want to be in a hospice? Who do I want around me? what things are very important to me. It could be things like pets, it could be things like music, it can be all sorts of things that are very, very important to you that, that you might want to have around you. And there might be people you just definitely do not want to see. So having some of that stuff written down can be really helpful for the people that are around you because it becomes like a bit of a guide, you know. So the the document that you've got written out, which we'll call, we call your end-of-life plan, is very useful for you to be able to give that to people so that when their time comes, they've got a document that they can say, well, okay, we know that they don't want a funeral, for instance, they just want to have a bit of a party afterwards or, you know, we we, we don't want to be, we want our ashes, you know, put in a certain place or, um, you know, we want to have a, a celebration of life in our favourite park. I mean, there can be just so many different elements of it that people often don't think about. The Death, Dying, Diagnosis and Duels podcast has more to share. Our daily advice will help you to access information through conversations and feel empowered. Follow Doula Connections on Facebook and Instagram. The thing about all those, if you like, whether you want to call them celebrations or, or memorials, whatever word you want to use, they're very healing for people. And I think that, you know, for instance, my husband, he says, oh, I definitely don't want a funeral. I don't want any of those funeral directors near me. That's the way he talks. But And I t- totally respect that. But it doesn't mean that we can't all sit together in one of his favourite places and 
and have a bit of a drink and have a chat about him and look at some photos and talk about things. So, again, every family is different and every individual will want different things, but that's that's the beauty of um, doulering because it really is about finding what the person wants and not what those around necessarily want and um, and getting getting that clear so that people can feel like they've respected you in your dying and your death because they actually knew what it, what you wanted. I think also that dying at home will probably start to have a bit of a comeback. It was certainly the norm in uh, in the older other older days of Australia, and I used to hear my grandmother tell some stories, you know, about people being at home and and the coffin being at home and people coming to visit, and that was the norm. You know, it was it wasn't sitting. People weren't sitting at a, in a funeral directors arrive for the funeral and disappear. It was very it was very different. And I think that there are a lot more people now saying that they want to die at home and often they can. I mean, you can't always. Sometimes obviously there are circumstances, unexpected deaths, you know, uh, people that just need to be in hospital for all sorts of reasons or in an aged care facility even for, for many reasons. But, you know, there's a lot of people that can go home to die. They don't need to stay in that hospital environment and the family and friends can be around and they can make that time very special, very very sacred and very memorable. And it, it even becomes part of the grief process to actually spend that time with people while they're dying and even hours and sometimes days after death spending that time with people before, you know, you, then the decision is made that how do you then dispose of the person's remains. So that's another thing, but there's a great period of time in there that can be really healing and really great for the family to be around. So I do definitely think that that is going to make a comeback. I think that when you think about the amount of baby boomers that will be entering old age and and dying within the next 20 to 30 years, it's an enormous number. And really do our hospitals and nursing homes have the capacity for it? And I think the truth of it is it's going to be it's we don't have enough staff in nursing homes and hospitals now there aren't enough beds now so realistically it makes great sense to me to be able to support families if they want to because not everybody's going to want to but if that's what they want to do they want to they want to take their people home the people want to go home that we should be as a community accommodating that and actually even you know, it, it should be something that's that's funded, even from our health funds, Medicare, all sorts of things that can actually support people at home because ultimately it's still cheaper anyway to look after people at home than what it is to be taking up expensive hospital beds, for instance. That's basically all I really want to say today. Each podcast series, I think I'll do a little interview with me, maybe talk about a a specific subject in future rather than just a general overview about me. But um, thank you so much for listening to the podcast. They're really, really important way for me to be able to raise awareness in the community. I thank you. We hope you found this conversation and information interesting, helpful and empowering with the Death, Dying, Diagnosis and Doulas podcast. Help us empower others by rating and reviewing us wherever you listen. 